let us open our Bibles to the book of 1 Timothy. And we'll find ourselves this morning in chapter 6, verses 3 through 5. That's chapter 6, verses 3 through 5. And Paul is, is winding up this letter to Timothy. And what he's trying to do, he's kind of trying to share a number of his final thoughts in this final chapter here in this section in chapter 6. Now, Paul's concerned with the church of Ephesus, and so he planted Timothy there, particularly because of false teachers had come in. Listen to Paul's words in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3. He says, I urge you, upon my departure in Macedonia, remain in Ephesus, though you may instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines. Now, in every church, you're going to have differing opinions. There'll be opinions on the type of worship music that we should have, uh, the type of sermons, how they're put together, how long it should go, perhaps the, the lighting, the carpets, and all that. But a church needs to be unified in one main thing, sound doctrine. We need to be unified in the Word of God. And there are essentials to the Christian faith that as a church we move forward in. Scriptures, they're inspired by God. The Bible alone and no other writings are God's words to us. They are inspired and without error. There is one God and three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They're co-equal and co-eternal. Man is a sinner. Sin is pervasive. It's complete. And without God's help, we'd be forever lost. Jesus is the second member of the Godhead. He's incarnate Christ. He's fully man. He's fully God. He lived a perfect life. He is the substitute for us, and He paid for our sins. The Holy Spirit is the third member of the Godhead. He shares the same divine nature as the Father and the Son, and He indwells believers upon conversion. The church is the people of God. We're broken people who've been saved by grace, and we're called the body of Christ. And finally, salvation is a work of God alone. It's through faith alone, through Christ alone, through grace alone. It is what makes this church. And if anyone teaches a different doctrine, if they jump ship and start teaching other things, then it's strange doctrine. And you had these false teachers that came in and beginning, began to share things that are not found in the Bible. And so this morning, what Paul will try to tell Timothy, and I hope that we will learn, is how do you recognize a false teacher? What are the evidences? What are the things that they show? Well, we're going to see four of them in this text. Let's read the text together, verses 3 through 5 in chapter 6. It says, if anyone advocates a different doctrine and does not agree with sound words, those of our Lord Jesus Christ and with the doctrine conforming to godliness, he is conceited and he understands nothing, but he has a morbid interest in controversial questions and disputes about words, out of which arise envy and strife, abusive language evil suspicions, and constant friction between men of depraved mind, deprived of the truth, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. So, how do you recognize a false teacher? The first thing is false teachers teach unbiblical doctrines that hinder growth. False teachers teach doctrines that are not found in the Bibles, and, and they will not help the Christian grow in Christ-likeness. If you look at verse 3 again, it says, if anyone advocates a different doctrine. Now, false teachers, they were rampant 
in that day and age, and guys are rampant today. You can turn to a number of TV channels and you can find them all over the place. False teachers, they worm their way into churches and they, they can look like they believe exactly what you believe, but then they begin to spread things that are slightly different. They begin to share things that aren't found clearly in the Word of God. Now, if you look back at the text, right above at verse 2, Paul says, teach and preach these principles. Now, what principles is he talking about to Timothy? I, I think everything that he's already shared in this book, Paul taught clearly the role of women in the church, the qualification for leadership. He taught the importance of prayer. He taught God's heart for the lost. But I think particularly, he's talking about what he said in chapter 4. Just turn the page and look with me at that, chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. He said, the Spirit explicitly says that in latter times some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons, and by means of the hypocrisy of liars seared their own consciences with a branding iron, men who forbid marriage and abdicate abstaining from foods which God has created to be gratefully shared by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude. For it is sanctified by means of the Word of God and prayer. And so these false teachers, they wormed their way in and they began to teach a very legalistic doctrine that they were holding people back from being married. They were telling people you can't eat certain foods and this is how you're made right with God. It's legalism. They attack the freedom that we have in Christ. Jesus never hindered anybody from eating or drinking. Matter of fact, they called Jesus, they called Him a glutton and a wine-bibber. False teachers, they want control. They want people to look at them as an authority. And one of the jobs of a pastor is to point out a false teacher if you see one and, and to help you basically understand sound doctrine, the Bible. That's the best defense against false doctrines that you know this really, really well. You know the Bible well. False teachers, although they don't know it, they're actually spreading lies, and the father of lies is the devil. All the way back in Genesis... The devil began to lie. In Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, it says, The serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, as God said, you shall not eat from the tree of the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it or touch it or you will die. And the serpent said to the woman, You surely will not die. He lied. He knows the moment Adam and Eve eat of that fruit, they will experience death. Satan is a liar. He's the father of lies. And John, in the epistle of John, says this, whenever Satan speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. False teachers are not godly people with a different opinion on religion. Whether or not they know it or not, they're being used by Satan to spread deceit, to spread lies. And what Paul is doing here, he's warning Timothy, saying, being careful, Timothy. Be careful what you teach. Be careful to watch what others teach. Because this was spreading throughout all the churches at that time. As a matter of fact, Paul, writing to the Galatian church, you know, Paul's a missionary, sticks for a while, two to three years, plants a church, puts in leadership, goes to another place. When he went to Galatia, he was there about three years. He taught them well. 
he takes off and right on his trail were these guys called Judaizers. And what they like to do is they like to take Judaism, kind of combine it with Christianity, and you have a Jesus plus religion. Jesus plus whatever people say. And so Paul catches wind of this and he writes back to the Galatian church. Listen to Paul's scathing words to the Galatians. In Galatians 1, 6 through 9, he says, I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another one, only there are some of you who are disturbing you who want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we've already preached to you, he is to be accursed. As we said before, and I say now again, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, he is to be accursed. These men that were in that church there in Ephesus, they were preaching another gospel. They're to be accursed. The false teachers are not committed to Scripture. They'll sometimes take a Scripture but they'll turn it, they'll twist it, they'll use it in a way to catch your attention, but then they want to get a hook in you. This is why he says in verse 3 in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 6, verse 3, he says, if anyone advocates a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words, those of our Lord Jesus Christ. And when he says that, those of our Lord Jesus Christ, he's not necessarily in Jesus' words in the Bible. I think what he's saying is all of the New Testament that speak about Christ, the gospel message, because if you take Christ out of the gospel, you have no gospel message. Paul is saying, be careful here. They're going to twist words. And you especially hear this in Paul when he's leaving Ephesus. Now, he was on his way to Rome later, and he stopped at Ephesus for a while and he shares with him his heart before he goes to Rome finally where he's in prison for the final time and then eventually killed. And this is what he shares with the Ephesian leaders in Acts chapter 20, verses 29 and 30. He says, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will, arrive, will arise, speaking perverse things, and they draw away disciples after them. False teachers, they like to speak perverse things. These are things that are kind of mm, intriguing, tantalizing. They catch your attention, and then once they got your attention, they bring in lies. They want to catch you. They want to hook you. They want to trap you. This is why it says at the end of verse 3, and with doctrine conforming to godliness, what Paul is saying is that their doctrine does not conform to godliness. In other words, they look godly. They dress the part. Sometimes they act the part. But the idea here is that their teaching won't help you to be godly. Matter of fact, it's going to drag you away from the Lord. It, it won't build you up in the faith. Godliness is the, is the Greek word eusebia. It means piety or reverence. But godly behavior only comes from those who are transformed in Christ. It only grows from those who are in the Word of God being fed the words of Christ. Sound doctrine. We need the Word. Psalm 119, 9 says, how can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. The word of God is what helps us to grow. The word of God is what keeps us firm in the faith. The word of God is what sustains us. It enables us to be strong. And Jesus himself gave strong warnings about false teachers. This is Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 through 20. He calls them false prophets. And particularly in that day, I think he was talking about the scribes and Pharisees. But listen to his words. He says, beware of false prophets 
who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ravenous wolves. And you will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree, it bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and is thrown into the fire. So then you will know them by their fruits. And the fruits of a false teacher is that they do not teach sound doctrine. And they do not produce lives that grow in godliness. They produce lives that eventually are wrecked and they're in shambles. You know, there have always been false teachers that pervert the truth. One early in, in the time when Paul was, it was the beginning at that time, it's called Gnosticism. Now, that teaching became very strong in, at the end of the first century, going into the second and third centuries. And Gnosticism basically taught that there was another knowledge that you needed to understand who God was. It's, Gnosis means knowledge. And so, it was a special knowledge. Unfortunately, a, a man by the name of Clement of Alexandria, this is not Clement of Rome, but he was, he was considered a church father. He was considered a theologian. He got all wrapped up in this teaching of Gnosticism. And for him, he thought that the truth about God, that it was inexpressible, that the only way God really revealed Himself, it wasn't through Scriptures because he felt that Scriptures were only like parables. You couldn't really understand it. That God conveyed truth through enigmas and symbols and allegories. And this is exactly the same teaching that we have today in the Mormon cult. Mormonism is very much like Gnosticism. When Joseph Smith was a young man in 1820, it said he was in a time of trouble. He was concerned, and he read James 1.5 that says, those who want wisdom are to seek it and request it of the Lord. And so, it's written that he went into a, a forest and began to pray, and during that time of prayer, he, he wrote that he had a vision of light and that God the Father and God the Son revealed themselves to Joseph Smith. And Joseph Smith asked him, he says, what Christian denomination should I be a part of? And, and they told him all denominations are corrupt. And then Joseph Smith said that God the Father and God the Son called him to be a, a prophet and gave him special knowledge. And on September 21st, 1823, he said he received an angelic visitation from an angel by the name of Moroni. And this angel Moroni tells him that there is a these gold plates and these things called Urim and Thummim that are going to help him translate these gold plates from the Old Testament. And in 1830, he, he says he, he discovered them and he wrote what we know as the Book of Mormon. And he also started the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And then over time, he kept writing special visitations and visions that he had, and those are the doctrines and the covenants. But the heart of Joseph Smith's false teaching is that he put his own authority above God's Word. He says, I have special knowledge, special authority. And Mormons, they teach that God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are all gods, individual gods. That God the Father lives on a planet called Kolob, that God the Father had sexual relations with Mary, and on and on you can go about the Mormon cult. But again, what do we do? Galatians 1.8, if we or an angel from heaven should preach any gospel contrary to the gospel that's already been preached, there to be accursed. Don't listen to false teachers. Yeah, but Pastor Rob, this is your job. 
I mean, I don't have time. No, it's not my job. It's our job. God has called each of us to know the Word of God. As a matter of fact, in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 17, it talks about those who are more noble. Let me read the verses. Acts 17, 10, and 11 says that the brethren sent Paul and Silas away to Berea, and when they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. Now these were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they received the Word of God with great eagerness, examining the Scriptures daily to see whether or not these things were so. There's a real key to being able to tell a false teacher. As you receive what people say, eagerly to know, and you want to learn, but then you go back to the Bible and you confirm it. Any preacher that's me, anybody you see on TV, anybody you hear on the street, you need to run back to the Word of God and confirm it in the Word of God. Because false teachers, they teach on biblical doctrines that hinder growth. That's the first thing. Another way to recognize a false teacher is the second thing. False teachers are prideful and they're ignorant of truth. A sure sign of a false teacher is pride and and kind of an inability, if you will, to see the truth. They're blinded by their own pride. Look at verse 4 there, chapter 6, verse 4. It says, he is conceited and he understands nothing. He's conceited. False teachers have a a prideful attitude. That that word conceited is the Greek word tafu. It means smoke. We could say he's blowing smoke. He's full of hot air. Um, They're puffed up, you could say with themselves and and their own doctrine. They're puffed up with the things that they think are right. This is why Paul said in in chapter 1, verse 7, he says, they want to be teachers of the law even though they do not understand either what they're saying or the matters in which they make confident assertions, he says. What false teachers do is they, they make confident assertions about what they think, but they don't have the backing of the Scriptures. They don't have the truth to back it up but they are prideful about what they believe. They're puffed up with pride. They set their teaching above the Word of God. Guys, that's arrogance. To say that you know more than God and God's Word, that's arrogance, that pride. As a matter of fact, in verse 1 again of chapter 4, Paul says, the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. They bring in lies, deceitful spirits, or doctrines of demons, things that that really don't line up with Scripture, but they say it with a lot of pride. And I think they really believe it. It's blinded them. Now, Peter was experiencing the same thing. In 2 Peter 2, verses 1 and 2, Peter says that false prophets arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you who secretly introduced destructive heresies even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves, and many will follow their sensuality. Because of them, the way of the truth will be maligned. False teachers, they malign the truth. They change the truth. They twist the truth. Now, Walter Martin, he was the, the founder of CRI, which is the Christian Research Institute. He says, this is what false teachers do. They give you a skin of the truth, and they stuff it with a lie. So they say some things that are true, you go, oh, and then as they preach, they start to pound in lies. Careful, church, know your Bibles well. Because Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 18, he says, speaking out arrogant words of vanity, 
They entice by fleshly desires, by sensuality, those who barely escape, the ones who live in error. And they promise freedom while they themselves are slaves of corruption, by which men are overcome and by which they're enslaved. When a false teacher, when they get a hold on somebody, when they get their hooks in you, they enslave you. You get trapped. I'm going to name a few names um, just because these guys are very clearly false teachers. One is somebody by the name of Rob Bell, and he wrote a book called Love Wins. And Rob Bell, at first he started out, it seemed like just a, a normal Christian pastor, but then he started to preach that there is no hell. But Jesus Himself taught more on hell than even the disciples taught. Jesus said this in Matthew 23, 33, speaking of the scribes and the Pharisees, He says, you serpents, you brood of vipers, how will you escape the sentence of hell? Jesus taught on hell is truth. The Scriptures confirm hell is truth. Trust me, there is a hell. There is judgment. There's another false teacher. His name is Kenneth Copeland. Kenneth Copeland has a very large TV evangelist ministry. This is one of something that Copeland said in one of his sermons. I found dozens and dozens of things that this man said, but here's one. He said, on the cross, Jesus won the right for believers to be born again back into the God class. Adam was created, but he was not subordinate to God, but as a God. He lost it, and in Christ, we're taken back to the God class. He says that we are gods. It's a lie. He's a false teacher. Exodus 20 verse 3 says, you shall have no other gods before me. Another one that everybody seems to be really into right now is a gentleman by the name of Joel Olstein. And I've met a number of people here in this church that have listened to Joel, and he's a good, good teacher. He's very popular. But there's a number of things that he's said that don't line up with Scripture. I'm going to share one of you with you this morning. This is a sermon that he preached on April 23, 2000, and it's posted on his website in May of 2004. He says, the Bible indicates that for three days, Jesus went into the very depths of hell, right into the enemy's own territory, and He did battle with Satan face to face. Well, first of all, 1 Corinthians 15 verses 1 through 4 says that Christ died for our sins, that He was buried, and that He rose again. On the cross, Jesus told the thief, today you will be with me in paradise. On the cross, Jesus said, fathers, to you I commit my spirit. Did God commit Jesus' spirit to hell to fight with Satan? No, Jesus is God. The victory was won on the cross. This is not truth. It is false teaching. And the reason is, if you look back at verse 4, it says they understand nothing. It doesn't mean they don't know much. It doesn't mean that they're unintelligent. It means that they're blinded to the truth because of pride. There's, a, there's, an, there's an issue in their heart that even though the Scriptures are plain, it's foolishness to them. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. Those who think they know more than the Word of God, those who twist the Scriptures are blinded by pride. And Paul is saying that they know absolutely nothing spiritually. Because the only way you can know something spiritually is to line yourself up with the truth of God's Word. And I love the way that Jesus puts it right before He resurrects Lazarus from the grave. Jesus says this, He says, Father, I praise You, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, 
that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent, and you've revealed them to infants. When a person is arrogant, when they're proud, when they're teaching false doctrine, the truth is just blinded to them. But to those who are just hungry and babes in Christ, all is revealed. For some reason, I'm on the Jehovah Witnesses hit list. They're showing up to my house pretty regularly now. And there are two women in particular, and, and I have to be honest with you, the first time they came by, they kind of caught me off guard. And, and one thing they said really quickly to me was that God's only name is Jehovah. And then they just kind of jumped off, and they started going all over, all, all over everywhere else. And I mean, they were moving quick, and, and I was kind of scrambling in the first part. They kind of caught me off guard. And I have to admit, I didn't, didn't feel like I did a very good job with them the first time I met them. But I had time to think afterwards, this whole idea about the the only name for God being Jehovah. It's not true. Matter of fact, in the Bible, there's a number of names that we have for God. Um, in the Hebrew, one is El, that's God's single. The other one is Elohim, plural. You see that in Genesis 1. But I started to think about, who does our Lord Jesus call God? He calls Him Father. He doesn't say Jehovah. And who does He teach His disciples to pray to? the Father, not Jehovah. And so when a false teacher comes in, they try to hook you, they try to use something and, and to catch you off guard. One thing in our second meeting that, that I did see that I kind of caught them off guard is they said that Jesus is, is a created being, that He's actually Michael the archangel. And so I said, really? And I said, let's go to Hebrews chapter 1. And I showed them Hebrews 1 verses 3 and 4, and this is what I read them. I said, he being Jesus is the radiance of His glory, the exact representation of His nature. And He upholds all things by the word of His power. When He made purifications of sin, He sat down at the right hand of majesty on high, having become much better than the angels, as He has inherited a more excellent name than me. He upholds all things by the word of His power. He's the exact representation of, of His nature. He's God. And when I said that, they rolled their eyes and they went, <laughs> And then I said, and he's become much better than the angels. I said, he's more than the angel. He's God. And again, they rolled their eyes and went, hmm. And they closed their Bibles. They turned around and they left. That is pride. And I felt bad. I felt, I felt sad in a way. And it's hard sometimes to speak to somebody that's caught because the pride of their heart makes them blind to the truth of God's Word. False teachers are prideful and they're ignorant of the truth. They teach them biblical doctrines and that hinder growth. And there's a third thing. False teachers cause chaos and confusion. Chaos and confusion. False teaching, it doesn't bring clarity. It only causes people to be confused about what they believe. Look at verse 4. This is the second half. It says, but he has a morbid interest in controversial questions and disputes about words, out of which arise envy, strife, abusive language, evil suspicions, in verse 5, the first half says, constant friction between men of depraved mind, deprived of the truth. It says he has a morbid interest in controversial questions and disputes about words. Now, one of the evidences of a healthy church is the love we have for one another, Jesus says. You can tell my disciples by the love they have for one another. And so, doctrine is what binds us as a church together. I mean, we hold together in this church that the Bible is inerrant that it's God's Word, and we stand fast on that. We believe that God is sovereign, 
that He's all-powerful, all-knowing, that He never changes. And we fight on that hill and we die on that hill together as a church. We understand that man is depraved. He has no ability within himself to save himself, but this is the grace of God, the love of God. He sent His own Son, Jesus Christ, who is the perfect God-man. And Jesus lived the life that we can't live. Jesus is the perfect substitute. When He dies on the cross and we believe in faith, the Bible says you are born again. That's another hill. We fight together. We die together on that hill. We believe that the Holy Spirit, it indwells every believer. We believe that the church is the body of Christ. These are doctrines that secure us. These are the things that we fight for. But false teachers, they bring in stuff that they think are interesting. They twist things. And it says here, they have a morbid interest in controversial questions and dis disputes about words. Now, seminary education is a wonderful thing, but one thing that I had to do is I had to read a lot of different books, and some of the books I had to read were from liberal scholars. Now, liberal theology is not liberal like we see in politics. Liberal theology started all the way back in the 1700s and just kind of still today. And the idea behind liberal theology is they like to fight over words. And man, do they love to do that. And every theologian in that camp tries to think of something new to debate about. And they'll debate about the book of Isaiah saying there must be two authors or that Paul didn't do all his writings or that the words of Jesus really aren't the words of Jesus. And you can just go on and on and on. They write papers and books and all this kind of stuff. But what happens when they have that kind of this morbid interest in, in words, it causes them to be jealous of others that have a new thought. And so they're always battling about new ideas about what they think the Bible is. And it causes envy, it says here. And envy then leads to strife, which is battling out different ideas. Strife leads to abusive language. They insult each other. Proverbs 10.18 says, He who conceals hatred has lying lips, but he who spreads slander is a fool. False teacher, they love to spread slander. Abusive language leads to evil suspicions. Doesn't believe the love of Christ, love of the body, love for one another. And then it says, leads to constant friction between men of depraved mind, deprived of the truth. One writer put it like this, he said, it's like two diseased sheep rubbing their diseases together. I kind of get a picture of, you ever had a shoe that's a little too big and every time you walk it rubs the back of your heel? Constant friction, next thing you know you got a blister, you're always in pain. Chaos, confusion, that's what false teachers bring into a church. They, they don't produce any good effect. But those who are taught in Christ, we have peace. Those who are taught in Christ, we're solid in what we believe, and we know why we believe it. Proverbs 29, 11 says that the Lord will give strength to His people. The Lord will bless His people with peace. Before Jesus ascended to heaven, He said in John 14, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. Not what the world gives do I give you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. Those of us that know the Lord, we have the peace of Christ. Those that teach false doctrines being chaos and confusion. There's a popular religious movement right now in our country. It's called spiritual, not religious. There's a lot of people that are into this thing. Oprah Rimfey is one. Elizabeth Gilbert is another. Some of the main writers are a guy by the name of Tipak Chopra, Paulo Coelho, Neil Donald Walsh, and I could kind of go on and on. And somebody kind of compiled their, their main thoughts, and they have four main ideas of what they believe. 
And it's in a book entitled Bad Religion. The writer's name is Ross Duat. These are the four main tenets of that religion that's very popular right now. First, all organized religions offer only a partial glimpse of God, and God is called the light being. And the idea is this, we must exercise and seek experience rather than reason, experience rather than doctrine. We need to have an encounter with God, an experience with God. A gentleman by the name of Neil Donald Walsh, in, in a book he wrote called Conversations with God, said, listen to your feelings, listen to your highest thought, and whenever any of these differ from what you've been told by teachers or read in books like the Bible, forget the words, trust your feelings instead. First thing, they rely on emotions, feelings. Second thing, God is everywhere, God is in everything, and God is particularly in you. And you, count, you can encounter God by getting in touch with Him, with the divinity that resides in you and within your soul. They teach that you basically are God. Feelings, you're a God. Third thing, sin and evil are largely illusions that will ultimately be reconciled rather than defeated. I wonder what they're doing with ISIS right now, how they're dealing with that. They say there is no hell, there is no sin, that we make heaven on earth. Elizabeth Gilbert, she's, she um, wrote this, she said, there is no such thing in this universe as hell, except maybe in our own terrified minds. They trust in their feelings, not the Bible. You're a God within, there is no sin, there is no evil. And the final one, perfect happiness is available right now, heaven on earth. Eternity at any moment, and any person who understands how to let go and let God can experience heaven right now. This is all false teaching, but the Bible is clear. We have one life to live, and then what? Judgment. This is why Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I'm the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Clarity. Do you know Christ this morning? Have you chose to believe another way? Or have you chosen the only way to salvation? False teachers cause chaos and confusion. They're prideful. They're ignorant of truth, unbiblical doctrines that hinder growth. And the final one is false teachers serve to gain wealth. False teachers serve to gain wealth. The main reason that they become a teacher is they want to get rich. Look at verse 5, the very end. It says, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain? The motivation for most false teachers is that they want money. They don't serve the Lord because they, they want to know Him or to help others to know Him. The, the main motivator, if you will, is they're thinking somehow they can make a buck. When a man gets to the point when it's no longer about the Lord but it's about the paycheck, they're done. They're no longer suitable to serve. When Paul left Ephesus and he's heading for Rome, this is, this is kind of his last stop. This is what he says in Acts 20, 33. He says, I have coveted no man's silver or gold or clothing. But a false teacher can't say that. They have covetousness. They have a desire for, for things. In 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 14, Peter says this, having eyes full of adultery that never cease from sin, enticing unstable souls, having a heart trained in greed. 
accursed children. Forsaking the right way, they become astray, having followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved wages of unrighteousness. Now, Balaam, in Numbers 22, he was called for spiritual work. In other words, he was going to make a buck for doing something spiritual. And the king of Moab wanted him to bring a curse down on the people of Israel, but God wouldn't do it. And so what Balaam did, he came up with another solution. He, he caused the people of Israel to sin so that he could get a paycheck. They're evil men that want money by doing spiritual things. And godliness with these men is not godly at all. It's a fake godliness. They feign godliness for riches. And the problem is, we know that the, the love of money is what? The root of all evil. And we're going to take a hard look at this next week, the idea about money and the right way as Christians that we deal with money. But if the heart of a person becomes so focused and entrenched in money, they no longer want to do anything really for God, and it's the motivator behind who these men are. Many of you know who James Baker is, Jim Baker. He was well-known. Uh, he was American televangelist, former Assemblies of God minister. He was the former host with his then-wife, Tammy Faye Baker. They, ha they had something they called a PTL club. He taught what's known as a health and wealth gospel, that if you have enough faith, you can make God give you a bigger car, bigger house, more money, that kind of thing. But he was, he was caught in a sex scandal and the ministry kind of collapsed, but also it was found that he, he had fraud financially, and he was put in jail for two years. While in jail, he, he says that God spoke to him, and he realized, and he wrote a book, and it's called I Am Wrong. And I, I want to read to you from this book. It, it, the book is entitled, I'm sorry, I Was Wrong. Let me share just a couple things he said. He said, how could I have taught or even written books on the subject of how to get rich when Jesus spoke so clearly about the dangers of earthly riches? One of the statements of Jesus that kept echoing in my head and heart was the parable of the sower, where Jesus said that the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, the desire for other things, entering in, choke out the word, and it becomes unfruitful. The deceitfulness of riches, the more I thought about it and the more I had to admit, I had fallen into that snare. And for the first time again, I began to really understand what Paul meant when he wrote that the love of money is the root of all evil. And for years, I had glossed over that passage of Scripture. I ignored it. I, I made an excuse for it. I tried to explain it away. I refused to accept the obvious interpretation. And now I see the message was right there all the time, so plain that even a child could understand it. I was wrong. I studied every word of Jesus over a period of two years in prison. And I was convinced that the prosperity message is at best an aberration. And at worst, it's a whole other gospel. It's contrary to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And although I still believe that God blesses His people, the prosperity message that I preached for years was wrong. Jim Baker saw the truth. He realized that he got caught up in that hook of loving money more than God, and it really it caused his demise. Careful, church. I'm just giving real straight talk here about who false teachers are, but there, since I've given you four things to recognize a false teacher, I want to give you four things on how you can avoid them. And we recognize them because they teach unbiblical doctrines that hinder growth. They're prideful and ignorant. They cause chaos and confusion. Their, their goal is wealth. But here's four things. Under false teaching, if you find yourself listening to somebody and you realize, wow, that's a false teacher, here's the best thing to do. Run. Don't stick around. Don't listen to it. 
Don't set a link on your computer to it so you can listen to them regularly. It will do you no good. It won't help you spiritually. Turn it off. Turn around. Leave. Become a good Berean. If you hear something you're not sure of, run back and check the Scriptures. Know what you believe. If you have any problems, call me. Call one of the pastors. Have us help you. If somebody's sharing something, and, and we have to be honest, there's so much stuff online right now. It's, there's so many people. Be careful. Know the Bible well. Third thing, preach the gospel to yourself. Know the gospel. Preach it to yourself regularly. Know why you're in Christ and, and how to walk in, in firmness of faith. And the fourth thing is tell others the truth so you can keep them from being caught in the snare of a false teacher. Amen? Let's pray. Well, Father, thank You for the Word of God. And Lord, I also thank You for warnings like this one, where You're warning Your people to have wisdom. You're, you're telling Your people the way it is, that, that we need to be wise, that we need to be good Bereans, that, that as Your people, Lord, You've called us to, to be firm in faith and know the Word that we stand in truth. I pray that You protect our church and that You help our church, that everyone here would would know you and love you and grow in their knowledge and understanding of the Word of God and in their relationship with you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.